0: Okay,
1: now I want to go uh, backwards, so can you get the uh, actual recording going this time? Oh, that's so good, thank you. The key to making sure that the recording happens is have somebody else start the recording for me. Um, As we're looking through this, I want want us to keep some things in mind. I'm going to try and remind us of this a couple of times, because we're actually the beauty of what we're doing, I've mentioned this before, is that Normally, if we were doing this in a gospel doctrine class, we would have 40 minutes to talk about sections 121, 122, and 123. We have three hours. So it's our chance to kind of peel back some things, and so we're going to kind of try and complete this uh, today. But I want you to keep in mind, with all the things that are being written that Joseph is sending out, that uh, the Lord is speaking to Joseph in this, in this hellhole of a, of a jail... Let's remind ourselves. There, there are four of these brethren, and they're in this jail in Liberty. Uh, where is, where is uh, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, W.W. Phelps? They've apostatized. And, and they're kind of sitting down in Richmond. Okay? Where is, where is Party Creek Pratt and uh, King Follett? They're sitting in jail in Richmond. Other brethren are sitting in other jails. Where are where are the saints? The body of the saints. Some are hiding, like my like my pioneers did, are hiding in a house in Missouri. Others are hiding in other houses. We'll take them in. Where is Emma and her and the kids? They're either on the road or they've made it to Quincy. So they're. And, and there are bloody footsteps all the way across Missouri to get back to Illinois. Some are camped out in Keokuk and Iowa. Uh, they are just, the church is scattered. The, the, at this point, it's almost like the church ceases to exist as far as an organized body that you could take a look at. So I want you to keep up most of your mind as we're looking at everything that the Lord is about to say to these people. The condition of the church at the moment, the reality of where they are, it makes what he said that much more astonishing. To me. Okay? Now, one of them that we talked about, I want to go backwards just a little bit. Because this is a phrase that is always that is one of the most well known in the church. Oh God, where art thou? Where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? You know, here's Joseph crying out. On this. Uh, Now, we don't have to go back very far though to hear a prophet talk about this, do we?
2: In the depths of his anguish in Liberty Jail, the prophet Joseph Smith cried out, O God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth by hiding place. Many of us, in moments of personal anguish, feel that God is far from us. The pavilion that seems to intersect divine aid does not cover God, but occasionally covers us. God is never hidden, yet sometimes we are, covered by a pavilion of motivations that draw us away from God and make Him seem distant and inaccessible. Our own desires, rather than a feeling of Thy will be done, create the feeling of a pavilion blocking God. God is not unable to see us or communicate with us, but we may be unwilling to listen or submit to His will and his time. Our feelings of separation from God will diminish as we become more childlike beforehand. That is not easy in a world where the opinions of other human beings can have such an effect on our moments. But it will help us recognize this truth. God is close to us and aware of us and never hides from
1: his faithful servant. This was conference in October. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask. So now you can finally answer to the question. O oh God, where art thou? Where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? Where is the pavilion? It's in us. It's not with him. It's with us. Pavilions like what? We said it was our will. will. And again, and we've talked about this before, haven't we? That sometimes it may sound like we're saying to God, Thy will be done, but do we really want that? No. We want what we want. We're just going to put the rubber stamp on it. I can ask whatever I want, but if I did say, Thy will be done, then I sort of meant that, right? So sometimes that pavilion is simply we want what we want even though it is a um, it's a righteous desire and it would sound fine but it really is hard will. But wasn't the Lord's answer to the same question the yeah,
0: he to the
1: Sometimes sometimes what are some other pavilions? desire
3: well, in the situation.
1: Thank you. Okay, so now, uh, listen. Have have God speak to Joseph. Where's the pavilion that covered the hiding place? It's in you. Where would Joseph's pavilion be at that moment? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe faith. Fear. Fear of. What's going to
0: happen?
1: What might happen? Do you think that maybe the pavilion for Joseph was his? Was a timing factor that he wanted it done now, and he's in a hellhole, and the saints are scattered across Missouri. You can't really hardly blame him that much, can you? Can oh, you know what? Let let me do this. Let me suggest another pavilion here. Give me just a moment here. I think I have shared this this quote before. Wouldn't be quite the same without getting C.S. Lewis's input, would it? Remember and listen for the pavilion here. Uh, we've talked about before that C.S. Lewis was uh, grew up in the Church of England, uh, went off to college, became an atheist, uh, and then, as a result of the, some work of uh, some, re- some things he read from George MacDonald and then J.R. Tolkien, and some of those came into the church, came back to the church, but from a renewed perspective, looking at it from a different angle and writes everything that he writes, mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia and all of that. And then late in life he marries Joy, perfect name. A um, poet, American uh, poet, who marries Joy. Uh, They will only be married just a few years and then she will die of a very painful cancer death. And his response in the book, uh, Brief Observed, movie Shadowlands, talks about how he responded to that death. So here's this this worldwide uh, Christian apologist that's explaining Christianity to the world. Listen to his pavilion as he deals with the death of his wife. Meanwhile, where is God? Oh God, where art thou? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're so happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you're tempted to feel... Your claims upon his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels. Welcome with open arms. Life is good. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. Picture this coming from the author of your Christina a door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside and after that, silence. Can you you, you see that imagery? You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. (coughs) There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Listen to this pavilion. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, but that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so absent a commander in our time of prosperity and so absent a help in our time of trouble? Isn't that amazing? From the author of Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia. Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so absent a help in our time of trouble? Think Joseph felt that? Where art thou? These are the saints, and all they've ever tried to do, with the exception of a few vigilantes in our midst, all we try to do is do good stuff. Yeah few weeks later, if you're kind of reading the book, he wrote it kind of as a journal. If you look a few weeks down the road uh, from this writing, here's, here's what he says. And listen to this pavilion. You can't see anything properly when your eyes are blurred with tears. You can't, in most things, get what you want if you want it too desperately. We want what we want, what we want. And that's why I say, we don't want God's will. We want our will. We want what we want. And it's almost with hesitation. And I know that feeling. Almost with hesitation. If I'm going to pray for something, it's almost with hesitation that I go, and Thy will be done. But not really. Anyway, you can't get the best out of it. Now, let's have a real good talk, reduces everyone to silence. I don't want to have a talk, I want what I want. Just do what I'm asking you to do. I have gradually come to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? There's a pavilion. Our own frantic, desperate need sometimes creates a pavilion between us and God. We're not listening. The time when there is nothing at all in your soul except to cry for help may be just the time when God can give it. Why? Because He's not willing? No, because we're not listening is in us. and weird walking through. And it's our desperateness that is preventing us from hearing the still small voice. It's still upon you. That's why we go back to what we were talking about last week. What God Joseph passed is? Yes. Those who have been enclosed in a prison can't know how sweet the voice of a friend is and it moves with the ability of lightning and the fierceness of a tiger and then when we are sufficiently contrived the spirit can steal in and whisper my son he's being but we have to be able and sometimes it's the friendship that removes some of this desperateness and fear enough that we can then hear the spirit Help us remove the pavilion. You are like the drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. Perhaps perhaps your own reiterated cries deafen you to the voice you hoped to. So most likely our pavilions are what? Our fears. Our fears get in in the way of blocking what he would. How anxious is God to to whisper to us and bring sweet peace and comfort to us? Desperately. Yeah, but we're so busy.
4: But we're so busy
1: screaming. You ever had this experience like with a toddler? And they're just kind of going, And you're saying, Do you want a cookie? And they're so busy yelling and screaming, and it's like, okay, you know, you you don't have to go to bed. What? And I think we get that way sometimes because we're so much in pain or fear or desperateness or hurting or whatever, and that creates a pavilion, and we can't hear. In fact, hold on to that one, because we're going to get to one right at the end of section 123 in about an hour. We're going to be right there. Be still. <laughs> and wait <laughs> patiently. But isn't it what well, we do learn but, but and we're going to be doing fine and then that's why I say we get to those areas of pain and fear or scared or desperateness or something like that and we have a tendency to go back to that fear and, and scare stuff and we're not hearing him very well and we create the pavilion that blocks him amazing to me uh, and we know it and that's just one of the reasons why we need to be reminded on a regular basis Ahead of time, what's coming, we are going to be scared. We're going to be hurting at certain points. Mm -hmm. That's the pavilion. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. This this ability to stop and stand still and listen in the face of uh, terror and pain or ridicule or peer pressure is a skill learning how to do it and finding out that it works and then trusting it in the future. It's a good way to put it. yeah. Like Grief. I'm doing fine until I've lost all this. It certainly was for C.S. Lewis. I was doing fine until the woman that I finally found after a lifetime of looking and has brought me so much happiness and joy, and I lose her. He lost joy of all the symbolic things for C.S. Lewis. That's amazing. And so we're okay until grief is one of those things that can rip that out. And how do you... What We were doing... At, uh, uh, a brief and, uh, law seminar this, this weekend. We've talked a lot about the fact that um, we're really good at acquiring things. We don't know how to lose things. We may be good at acquiring people. We don't know how to lose people. We don't know how to lose until we have lost.
4: And we get caught up in all of it. Yeah? As much as
2: it sounds, the situation happened, It was a necessity, actually, with the Church of the Indian foundation.
1: Yep. and do you think Joseph learned something in the process here about saying about his own pavilions that blocked him? That's why, and I've said I've said before, he was Joseph was not the same person that came out of Liberty that walked in that day. He was changed fundamentally. There was a difference. There was a shifting in him, a depth. For and this is the same person that had received the keys in the curtain of the temple. And, and did everything that he did. And yet there was a greater death in Nahu that wasn't there.
0: Yeah.
1: Perfect example. I did At five weeks, you went in one morning, and the doctor
3: had said he didn't think you want to send all weekend because he didn't And he said, I think we'll keep your wife today. So it wasn't six weeks, it was five weeks, so <laughs> anyway, it was just a good I mean,
1: pending spiritual thing. <laughs> really, that's to what you're saying. Isn't it amazing? It, it, we go through these experiences and, and the Lord has a way of teaching us with this. Okay, now, along with that, so so keep in mind. So now he's learning about his own fears, and what's he take? Picture the, the church scattered, and then listen to the words of comfort from the Savior through Joseph Smith to a scattered people. Okay? Look at section 121, 45 and forty six. And see if see if this is the topic of conversation that you would be having. Now, to read up to it though. Leilani, can you see that one? vain and trifling? I'm gonna read i read that. This is this is from the letter just prior to to verses forty five and forty six. Is it a little out of focus? I just wanted my contacts weren't that good a or B one or two three or four a or B okay from the letter I'll try for
3: Vain and trifling have been our spirits, our conferences, our councils, our meetings, our private as well as public conversations, too low, too meet, too lowered, too condescending, for the dignified character of, of the called and chosen of God. According to the purposes of His will, from before the foundation of the world, we are called to hold the keys of the mysteries of those things that have been kept hid
0: from the foundation of the world
1: does that still apply listen to what he's saying how vain and trifling have been our spirits our conferences, our councils, our meetings our private as well as public conversations to mean, to low, to vulgar, to condescending for the dignified characters of the called and chosen of God what's he saying to
4: us We're better than that.
1: That we've got to be different. He has expectations of the saints. And other people can do that. But he's not just talking about that you're being sinful. He's just saying you're being vulgar and vain and trifling. Oh. Think about the conversations that we have around our house. And then think about the ones that you have in the temple. Difference? Yeah. Okay. So. That'll be. It's from the letter. We just read that. I just put it on the PowerPoint for those that weren't here. Okay.
5: So this is me, my name is Aaron. This is a true account of an experience that I had while shooting a video in a central park. This is by the church. of group of strangers brought together to discuss civility and kindness.
2: We're wow. all so sad, the amount people can
5: no, no, so full cool. yeah. let me have
3: That's what you learn when you go
5: to another
2: place. Oh you can people the way you want to be treated.
5: We we're split into pairs, and we all began discussing the various subjects. See, I see everybody. Yeah whether they're young, old, black or white, whatever religion, I do feel it's a gift because I honestly feel everybody's on the potential that they're a good person. Uh, I've been talking with the other people in the group. I remember looking over and I seen this homeless man. I remember thinking, hmm, I do hope this man doesn't take my bicycle. I actually was quite abusive to him. I wasn't very nice. I told him exactly what I thought about him. Just as we were wrapping up the last conversation, the director asked the person that I was speaking to to step out and asked the homeless man to step in. I was shocked. I was mortified. I was completely mortified by what he just said. Hello. Hello. How to are you doing today? Oh, well. The weather? Yes. But like if you hang around in the park, are people nice to you?
2: Yes, very, very nice to you.
5: <sighs> So people say hello?
2: Yes, they can give help. Are you too high? Really?
5: As a group, one morning, we've been discussing love thy neighbor, and yet I just turned on this guy and completely verbally abused him, and here I was, now, face to face, having a discussion with him. Mm-hmm. And
2: how do you feel about civility? I think it comes more from my heart, but a lot of people think it comes more out of your pocket. <laughs> it doesn't take, it doesn't cost a penny to be, one cent to be polite. The world can be kind of cool at times and, you know, you get confused and you don't know what to do, so you just start reacting. What
5: keeps you good? I
2: think there's more ways to, to be good than bad. You know, we just don't exercise our ah, goodness, that's
5: you know? There had been earlier, saying all these lovely things, and I was a complete and utter hypocrite. And the moment I laid eyes on him, I judged Charles, Eddie, And he ended up being a completely different individual. He showed no ill will towards me, and he was talking to me as though we were best of friends. Ever since I spent that day with him, I said to myself, I am going to be a much kinder person. I hope people are inspired by the experience that I had in Central Park that day, that you will look at people just a little differently and understand that what one homeless man said in Central Park can honestly change your whole view on humanity.
1: a Homeless guy. A
4: yeah,
1: yeah, it's profound. profound.
4: It cost a penny.
1: No, it doesn't. Yeah, what did he, say? he said it doesn't cost a penny.
4: In New York is full of people that have learned to be to themselves. We're missing.
1: It. We're missing. It. I just thought it was fascinating that of all things, you know, this, here's this gal that comes in to talk about civility. She kind of blasts the, the homeless guy that might steal her bike, and then ends up learning more from him and then bring him in to the finish. Beautiful. So let's go back to what we were just talking about then. How vain and trifling have been our spirits. Too low, too mean, too vulgar. Now, again, this is the saints scattered across Missouri at the hands of the mobs. Listen to what the Lord's teaching them. And we could have spent an hour and a half on these two verses. These two verses are packed. Um, Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards who? Oh, man how do you do that let your bowels be full of charity towards all men um, and to the household of faith and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly we've talked in here before about what virtue garnishing your thoughts unceasingly is just a quick reminder Remember that virtue really means what power let whose power his power Let my power garnish your thoughts, meaning what? Covering, clearing out, cleaning. The idea of His power cleaning out your thoughts unceasingly. Let me, uh, as Elder Boucher was fond of saying, let Him be the speaker of all my words and the doer of all my deeds. Let Him take over. Let Him garnish my thoughts. Okay? And then, when that happens, shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And and here it comes, and we're about to we're about to learn something really powerful. I think here, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. Now, the the Lord uses words specifically. Name a picture. Sometimes you've got when, when you're looking at a verse and you see words come up that you don't see very often. It's really important that you can get behind it and get a sense of what that is. Okay. Uh, and it shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. Can somebody uh, hop over for just a second to section 128, uh, 19? You got it. Okay. You want to read that one for us? Now, listen, listen close here. How beautiful upon
3: the mountains are the feet of those that bring glad tidings of good things, and that say unto Zion, Behold, thy God reigneth. As the dews of Carmel, so shall the knowledge of God descend upon
0: them.
1: The dews that we're talking about are the dews of Carmel, Mount Carmel in Israel. Here's some things we know about Mount Carmel. Okay, it's high up on a mountain like Utah mountains, but guess how often it rains in Mount Carmel? About twice a year. Guess how often they get dew? About 250 days a year. How are things watered on Mount Carmel? By the dew. No deluge. No downpours. Their water is very green. Yeah, mountain. In Mount Carmel, if I, I, I think it's in northern Israel. Yeah, northwestern. Near the sea? Near Haifa. Yeah, I love Haifa. Okay. Now, why does this become an, an important visualization? What's he trying to tell us? Let the doctrine of the priesthood distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. How does the dew work? It's water. yeah? It's a little bit of a time, yeah? It is line upon line. And it just kind of slowly steals it. I mean, do you ever, can you sit outside and watch the dew show up? Or you get up in the morning and it's just there. And, you, and it's really wet, but it just slowly crystallized. And by the way, where does the dew come from? Where
4: from the top? I know, it does say, this is the
1: dew from heaven, I know. And, I, and most of the time, we use the dew coming from, from the earth, right? So it comes up from the But then in this case, here's the dew from heaven and they're going to come and distill upon my soul is the dew from heaven. Okay, you're going to, you're about to learn the doctrine of the priesthood. Now put that in different words, and how will you come to know the doctrines of the priesthood? Slowly. How else? Line upon line. You're going to immerse yourself in it. It's what? Consistent. It's consistent. Yeah, you're going to feel it. In other words, listen to the gradual nature of this thing. Again, there's no downpours. There's no deluge. There is simply that it begins slowly, piece by piece, patiently. We begin to kind of come and understand. So that somewhere down there you realize that you understand better than you did. And it may not just hit you over the head with it, but this, this doctrine of the priesthood will still upon you. And so it, it begins to show up. Again, think about that, that we're trying to live our life, and then the dude just kind of starts to settle in on us. Okay? We didn't even see it coming. A little bit at a time. I love that. Because sometimes we're in this process of saying, I need to somehow bulk up, right? I'm going to do like this massive study, and I'm going to learn it all at once and cram it in there like I do for a final. He says, no, this is done line upon line, Sunday upon Sunday, verse upon verse, morning after morning. Yeah.
0: One
3: thing about do is it I think it's kind of a it's kind of
1: quick. You know if you have a downpour, like It It can run off, can't it? It's like it's like slow cooking something. If you're gonna slow smoke something, it, it gets into all parts of that. That's what this is. You just get this sense of this gentle, slow, gradual process. There's no way to rush that. Okay?
0: Yeah?
1: I'm going to soak it all in. I'm going to walk out at the end of the day and I'll, I'll understand this thing. Yeah. Just consistently over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So, this doctrine, he's about to say, it's going to descend upon you just like the deuce of Carmel. Okay? Okay? As the dews from heaven. Now, listen to the terms now he's going to use. Here comes the doctrine of the priesthood. Understand what this is. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion. Thy scepter, an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth, and thy dominion, an everlasting dominion. Oh, woohoo. Okay. The Holy Ghost shall be a constant companion. Now, let me back up. The the best way to understand that is let's take the next one. And I've got, I've kind of put it up here. What is a scepter? What do we know about
4: scepters?
1: Who holds a scepter? Kings hold, royalty hold the scepters. Okay. So whoever has the scepter has a power. Okay. And 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 when I actually started looking up that word. In Hebrew, the actual word is Shabbat, meaning, and I was surprised by this, the most common times that Shabbat, scepter, is used, it's a synonym for tribe. It's the tribe that you're in. And it's used like three times as much, because the other common one is a raw. Had a rod, right? Think about, think about Aaron's rod. Think about Moses' rod. It symbolizes power. And how was the Red Sea parted? I'm gonna use the rod. And, and, and so think about the times you've heard in the scriptures: the rod of my power, you know, the rod of Jesse. I mean, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Okay? By the way, in the book of Mormon. Did they, have a, did they have a scepter? Did they have a rod? The iron rod. That was one. There's another one that is more prominent. And you always knew who the king was in the Book of Mormon because they would have the scepter. What was it? Sword of Laban. Absolutely. That was that scepter. You're going to wield that scepter, wield that rod to defend the people, to designate who has the power. Now, by the way, it is fascinating to me. In most of there's generally a, a scepter, the rod, and then there's usually an orb, and this is and the orb is where you're going to actually receive kind of guidance and direction and stuff like that. Okay, in most mythology, did the book in the Book of Mormon did they have a, have a, a scepter for leg like, Did they have a, a, a orb? The Leona, yeah, amazing. I, Yeah, yeah. If you've been to bend to the Tower of London and see the Crown Jewels, you see the scepter. Pretty interesting. And the orb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yale. Yeah, if you look look on the look on the seal for the the for Yale, and they will have and you'll see two uh, triangle pieces there that are known as the Urman thumb on the seal of Gale. Like the the Urman thumb is a type of orb because it's it's something that you're going to hold. The brother of Jared had an or I mean, it's just it's a seeing stone kind of thing. But it's also a symbol of power. Whoever has it has this, and it goes with the scepter. Okay. So thy scepter. Now listen to this scepter. Now I'll, before we go here, why is he in conjunction with the where are the saints? Scattered. Where's Joseph? Jail. Okay? How they do doing with the curtain of the temple? Right now it's a barn. it'd been converted in a couple of years of the Saints gone. They ran cattle in there and put hay in those magnificent uh, places where are the where the keys of family store. So listen to the words to this person. If he's going to start talking about the Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter, what words is he what's he starting to conjure up? What do you see? A kingdom, don't you? He's going to start to paint a picture to this person sitting in the Liberty Jail, to a church scattered thy scepter, thy kingdom, thy, the, the, your, you will have a scepter, meaning you will be a king and queen, prince and princess. Thy scepter shall be an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth, and thy dominion, an everlasting dominion, Use another word for dominion. Kingdom. These bedraggled people, there is a kingdom coming. The Holy Ghost will be your companion. You will have a scepter of power. And you will have a kingdom. Where? Where? Look, look over in section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants. 11, For they shall be judged according to their works, and every man shall receive according to his works. What will he and she receive? His own dominion. Where? of the ways that I tried to picture this. If, if, if scepter is also about tribes and dominion is about a kingdom I begin to picture for just a minute Do you, picture in your mind's eye in the Book of Mormon and you've got King Benjamin standing on the tower and where are the people? They're scattered about in tents. Who's, who's inside that tent? They're Their families. Their tribes. Okay? What is, that, what's, what is that little tent at that moment? It's their dominion. It's their tribe. It's my little kingdom. And it's a smaller kingdom in the midst of the bigger kingdom here at the temple with the prophet... Representing the Savior speaking to me, and we all have our little kingdoms, our little dominions. And he says, That's coming. So, my little flock, fear not. You're scattered all over the place, but one day soon you will receive a, a kingdom with a scepter and power. And the amazing part about this is. Let's find out about this particular dominion. It's an everlasting dominion and we're, about, and we're being told something about this dominion. How does it come to us? Without compulsory means. It shall flow unto thee forever and ever. You see how that matches up with the last line of the previous verse? How does the doctrine of this priesthood, how power comes to to righteous men and women and the saints, no matter what situation they're in, it distills upon us as the dews from heaven. It begins to settle in on us. And it flows unto us, this power, this dominion, this kingdom, everything that the Father has for us flows to us out without compulsory means. but it doesn't come with a great flash. It distills upon our souls. Now he's going to con- contrast that with what he'd been talking about earlier in here when he was talking about uh, how we handle other people. Go back to verse 37. These powers may be conferred upon us, it's true, but when we untake, undertake to cover our sins... Gratify pride, vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion over the souls of men. I mean, end of the priesthood of death. Because that's not how it works. And, and when you allow it to distill upon you those that kingdom, that power flows unto you. You don't have to go out and and. and in most kingdoms that we know about, how did the Romans increase their kingdom, their power? How'd they do it? Force, domination, control. How about the Greeks? All How about the Nazis? It's always been about control and domination, attack and putting you under servitude. And this kingdom is about it flows back unto you without compulsory need. You see the imagery on this? And again, it's being said to a bedraggled, scattered people. I just think it's, it's magnificent. I was just reading last night about Georgia Smith speaking in the house where the Prince and the other person was doing
0: their early in the church. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Would
0: be a whole earth. And so he he knows that back of his mind. He
1: knows where the church will, how it will expand. And yet, he's not seeing that vision right now. Yeah, and so listen great segue. Look at at verse 1 of section 122. The ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, Joseph. And fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee. I've mentioned the I've mentioned before that uh, in here. Uh, I apologize to those who've heard this. Uh, I remember as a uh, as a uh, young missionary, we were out tracting one morning. We knocked on the, the door of this house, and this lady said, "Oh." we... Um, I'm busy right now, but would you guys be willing to come back and talk to me and some friends this evening? I said, yeah.
0: We're ready for this. I've got a lot of questions about your church.
1: Awesome. So we got all set, and we get all ready, and we go back there at 7 o'clock that night, and it was a complete and total ambush. The, the, the uh, prayer warriors were there from the local church, and they were there to try and reclaim the souls of these... Uh, Missionaries, and they had stacks of anti-Mormon literature that they'd been reading up on and preparing to last these missionaries. We'd been having some success in town, I think we were three, and they just went on and on. And my and my uh, companion, who played football in high school, big, bruising, uh, big kid. Uh, this was the same kid that told me when I first took him on as a green. He said, uh, "By the way, I need to let you know that if you try to wake me up in the morning, I'll punch you out." <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to, but this is what this is the routine I have with my dad every morning. You know, and this guy's like six four, he's about two forty. And he says, "I'm I'm dro- groggy. I don't even know And If somebody tries to wake me up, then I'd swing at my dad <laughs> and get the way. And, 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 and I said, uh, "No, <laughs> we won't be doing that. You'll get yourself up, dang it! I'm not about to." Because like. I could, and he had he had he had fists the size of my face. <laughs> this is massive. And this dearly beloved companion, the onslaught starts from, from these prayer warriors, and they're just pouring out of it. And he just looks at me like. <laughs> <laughs> and he clammed up on it. Just clamshill Right there. It wasn't coming out anytime soon. Uh, you had the melder. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Okay, and they've lasted for about an hour. Constant. What about this? What about that? And we try and answer it, and then what about? polygamy? What about? You know, and you know, and they just go on and on and on. And go, and I try and answer, and I remember very clearly right at the end of that, one of the guys said, uh, looking directly at me, he says, "So what do you think, your prophet? What do you think?" And I heard myself say to them. Joseph was told by the angel long ago that his name would be had for good and ill across the world. and tonight is the fulfillment of that. And it got really
0: <laughs>
4: for about
1: five seconds. Nothing stirred. Nothing move, And I knew they got. It. And then they caught themselves. It's like they started again. And I said, "Elder Brown, let's, let's get out of that thing." But I was so moved by what I heard myself say to them. And I, and I was moved by the spirit that suddenly settled into that. And, I, and when I look at this, the ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name. Fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee. While, what? The pure in heart, the wise, the noble, the virtuous, shall seek counsel, authority, and blessings constantly. Under Thy hand, and then I think, particularly for Joseph, this these words of comfort, and Thy people shall never be turned against Thee by the testimony. That's. Okay. So, section one twenty two. Um, let's do this. Let's hop over to section one twenty three. One of the things that uh, Joseph is writing to the church, uh, and, and I, I know because I've seen the response of my, uh, in the journals of my family in response to this, there was a sense that said, we need. Joseph will finish this letter. I don't know how many of you had a chance to kind of read through the letter. He finishes this letter by saying, The testimony of God is true. The testimony of Jesus Christ is true. The testimony of the Constitution of this land is true. And he will go on and on about the power of the Constitution. And even though we haven't been given very much constitutional rights and privileges here as as members of this country, the citizens, we still believe in the Constitution. And he will ask in Section 123 that they put together a list of everything that was lost in Missouri. A listing of all of the properties, how much we think we lost as a result of the being tossed off of our the land that we own. Uh, my my pioneers put together a, a really long list. Here was our land outside far west. You know, this many wagons, this many crops, massive list. And then Joseph will come when he gets settled, he gets the Saints kind of starts to be settled in commerce. He will then go off to Washington D.C. and present this petition to the president of the United States. And that's when the response from Martin Van Buren was, uh, your cause is just, but I can do nothing for you. Which, incidentally, was a states' rights thing. This is the state of Missouri is supposed to resolve this. The federal government can't step in and do this. That that whole idea of states' rights is being debated but at the moment but that was part of his reasoning that says this isn't a federal government thing, this is a state. And that's when then Joseph will then go from there up to Philadelphia and preach one of the most magnificent sermons of his life and help people the Who is this guy? This was not the guy in Kirk. But put together a committee, take statements and affidavits. Uh, all the magazines published to the world's verse six present them to the heads of, of government uh, in their dark and hellish hue, um, and then listen to what uh, he's going to begin to. Oh, where is it? Um, I just love some of his writing here, verse five, <laughs> and present the whole concatenation concan, of diabolical rascality and nefarious and murderous impositions that have been practiced upon this people. Not <laughs> bad for an uneducated farm boy. Yeah. And then we get these beautiful lines that we, when we were looking at Section One O Seven, we looked at this. But I want to come back and revisit it because I want you to see it in this context. It is an imperative duty we owe to God, to angels, to whom we're going to be brought to stand and also to ourselves, to our wives and our children. What does that sound like? Captain Moroni. Yeah. Who had to bow under grief, sorrow, under the most damning hand of murder, tyranny and oppression. Um... And the whole earth groans under the weight of its iniquity. It is an iron yoke. It is a, a strong band. They are the very handcuffs and chains and shackles and fetters of hell. Therefore, is it imperative duty? And he's going to keep going on. And you're going to find out what is the what is our imperative duty. Because what he's about to lay out to these saints... It's going to be our imperative duty as well. It's our, our imperative duty that we owe. Here he goes again. Not only to our wives and children, but to the widows and fatherless whose husbands and fathers have been murdered under its iron hand. And then listen to this phrase, and I love how he puts verse 10. Which dark and blackening deeds are enough to make hell itself shudder and to stand aghast and pale and the hands of the very devil to tremble and palsy? These things are so bad that even the devil would be shocked. Verse 11. This is where I really think it begins to, it's speaking to us. It is also an imperative duty we owe to all the rising generation and to the pure in heart. Four. There are many yet on the earth among all the sects, parties, and denominations. Who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to see, who are only kept, listen close, they're only kept from the truth because why? They know not where to find it. It's an imperative duty that we owe to these people who don't know where to find truth. We owe it to our rising generation to the pure in heart, and even to those who don't know how to find truth. And I believe he's also speaking about those in the Now, here, here we go, 13. And here's, here's what I think we take in for us. Therefore, wherefore, that we should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all the hidden things of darkness, wherein we know them, that they are truly manifest from heaven. These should be attended with great arms. It is an imperative duty, brothers and sisters, that we owe to the rising generation, to our kids, to the young, and to the pure of heart, that we do what? Expose darkness. <laughs> yeah. And in this process of exposing darkness, we will waste and wear out our lives. Wow. How's that for a second? I was thinking about that uh, yesterday when my first meeting was at. Six thirty, and I had straight meetings through till about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then I knew that my bishop had another appointment at eight thirty last night. And I just, you know, I just watched, and, and then uh, I look at uh, uh, all of the callers. If you've got it, if you're in scouting, Cub Scouting, primary, do you feel like you can waste and wear out your life? Oh yeah. To do what? What are you doing if you're wasting wearing out your life as a seminary teacher or, or teaching primary? Who do you owe an imperative duty to? The rising generation. And the pure in heart. To do what? To spell the spell shine the light on the darkness. Now, I think that uh, for a lot of yeah.
4: Yes. waste and then
1: faithful crown glory. And a scepter of power a and a dominion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's flowing unto you like the duels like the dues of Carmel.
3: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm tired, but I'm worthy. <laughs> um, I think a lot of you in uh, looking at looking at the cycle of uh, lessons. You, you read yesterday, maybe a number of you about the uh, story of uh, Lorenzo Snow. Uh, remember, there he's on a mission to uh, Hawaii, and he's with Joseph F. Smith, and he's with uh, Ezra T. Benson. He's with Alma Smith. And, they, and these guys are—they—they're—they're they're going over to Maui. And Joseph F. Smith's been here for a little while, and he sees the surf, and he's like, "I—I I don't think so. I know what happens in that surf. That's not good. I'm staying in the bigger boat till this settles down." And the other brethren are like, "No, we're anxious to get to Maui. We're going to go." So they, so Lorenzo Snow, Alma Smith, Ezra T. Benson—hop uh, in the boat, and off they go, and they capsize in the surf. And Alma Smith, Brother Benson, get back in the boat. They can't find Lorenzo Snow. They drag him up out of the water, and they drag him in here, and he's lifeless. There's no pulse. So they they lay they lay Alma Smith said they laid him across their lap, and then kind of tried to administer to him. And then they get to the to the beach, and we have to do something with him. And what do they do? Roll him over a barrel literally over a barrel, dragging back and forth, and then they feel inspired to breathe into his mouth. Now, if you go back and look, I did some research on this. The primary way of dealing with a drowning victim back then was raising their arms over their head. They weren't doing a lot of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So this is pure inspiration on the part of uh, Smith and Benson to to, uh, breathe into his mouth, rolling over the barrel, and then this future prophet starts to cough and sputter in his eyes flicker, And, and they, they save his life. And then and they count it as such a um, lesson. Now, that's half the story. Uh, when we get, uh, just before we go into everything that happened with liberty and the fall of far the day before Far West will fall, uh, October 30th is when the, the saints that have kind of refused not to come in, that stay at Hans Mill, will, will be attacked by a group of settlers. Uh, the women kind of run into the woods, the men are gathered into a into the grist mill area, and, and they're in a shooting gap. They're shooting through the slats and everything. Uh, Seventeen men and boys are killed. There is a a sister Smith that will come. That when she comes out of the lunch, she will find that her husband is dead. That uh, her one son has been shot in the head. He is dead. And her young son Alma Smith. Has been shot in the head That that they reached through the slats and they hit him at close range and blew out his hip. And under direction from the spirit, she will she will be led to use things like slippery root and balsamic uh, lotion to pack the wound and draw all of the shot and dirt and everything out of that wound. And then she will feel inspired for about six weeks to have him lay. Face down, with five months. Five months. Long stretch. Have him lay on his face while the wound heals. And what she describes, that that, that, that ball and socket in his hip is now replaced by a strand of cartilage that begins to strengthen that, and after a period of time she hears kids screaming, she runs in there and he's dancing. Alma Smith at Sepp who will survive that who will then go on to Utah who will then be called on a mission to Hawaii who will be there, there in place to help save the prophet we will waste and wear out our lives the Lord will use us he will strengthen us beyond our capacities to do what he needs us to do In amazing ways that we just have no idea. Okay? Now, so so let me kind of conclude. Again, to these saints scattered across Missouri. Let no man count them as small things, for there is much with lieth in futurity pertaining to the saints, which depends upon. These things. 58 new missions this week. The church is rolling forward, and it depended on these saints getting through this. That we could have easily disbanded right at this point. Very easily could have disbanded. We did We mm-hmm. hung together. The saints began to gather again. There were a lot of brethren at that point that said maybe we should never gather again. Every time we gather, we get attacked. Maybe we just kind of stay separate or something. say. Joseph said, no, we need to gather. We're going to gather because for one thing, when, when we grow, we gather. When we're wicked, we stab. So the, the children of Israel rule. When you're righteous, you gather. When you're wicked, you stab. But we gather also to build temples. We receive the ordinances that you need. So we've got to gather. We gather. We gathered again at commerce. Changed the name to Nauvoo and came out of this period of time. But there was much that which lied in futurity in the future pertaining to these saints which depends on these things. Now, you know, brethren, verse 16, that a very large ship is benefited very much by a very small helm in the time of a storm by keeping workways with the winds and the waves. Joseph never sailed. He may have ridden on the Mississippi and the Missouri a couple of times, but he never sailed in a sailing ship. I didn't love that. How do you know that stuff? Probably saw Nephi, you know, and Levi. The Therefore, okay, now it's time. Here it comes. Ready? Therefore, beloved brethren and sister, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still. There's the key. That is very important. When do we do all things that lie in our power and when do we stand still? Where's the line, do you think? Cheerfully do, then stand still. Yeah. After you've what? You've, you've You've done the best you know how to do. And then there are times that we stand still and see. Remember, remember the Red Sea. You've seen the Ten Commandments. You know, stand back and watch the power of God. You know, stand back and let Him work. And I, that's why I love. that at the end of all of this, He's saying He's going to say to us, "Cheerfully do all things which lie in our power." I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, I think I love the quote by by Wilford Whitman. If God tells me to do something, He does does it. If he tells me to burn down my house, I will bleep, I will set fire to it and gleefully dance around it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a guy. Wherefore, beloved brethren and sisters, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost insurance, assurance to see the salvation of his God for his arm to be with you. Just trust him.
4: Yeah.
5: yeah. Yes.
0: Sure,
1: but but there's comes kind of a point where kind of, you've done all you can. Now they're going to have to go out and do stupid and learn from it.
0: <laughs> I can't, I
1: can't yes. I I
0: sleep
1: my... Oh, it's really good that moms don't go oh, over and, on overnight stays.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: so so what a great. and and yes. you're not sitting there at scout camp. You just you're better off not knowing that that learning is occurring. <laughs> really, you are. And they're doing stupid and they didn't tell about it. You
0: are making her feel so much better. But someone who can wants <laughs> to protect you and just say, just stay
1: home. Don't go. And I do this. I know. Now, at this moment, you do understand the Disney principle no events happen until you get mom out of the picture. <laughs> got to remove mom out of the way and then adventures and crazy things and things happen just on
0: that I, I
3: remember when I said I'm my children on a audition and I felt like
0: okay I'm just putting the Lord's hand and I for me it was kind of relief and then sudden also occurred to me they already were in the Lord's hand. all along I just finally decided you finally
1: figure figured that out <laughs> you, you're, you're like you're like Tevya standing on the train station going. She's going off to Siberia. Keep her warm. (laughs) Watch over. Keep her warm. Do what you needed to do, and then stand still and let the Lord do his thing. Let him drive. Awesome. Okay, we need we need to stop. Um, I just say in the in these verses, there's so much power, and it's and it's things that were written to a to saints that were dragging and at our lowest point. And, uh, and isn't it interesting that all of what is being taught to these people at this moment is. Mind. Be kind to one another and it will flow unto you, huh? And that's it present We just have to be kind, and it will. And everything that the Lord intends for you will flow unto you without compulsory means, and your dominion will be an everlasting dominion, and your scepter an unchanging scepter. It will happen; He intends it for you. Just let it distill upon your soul. In the name of Jesus Christ. good week.